Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Thank you, Dwayne. All right, how are we doing this morning? Great, awesome, good to hear. Um, Any of you fans of the colder weather? Yeah, we got some, okay. Some are not, yeah, it's all right. I'm from Florida, so I always will say no to that. Um, We could just take the 70, 80 degree weather, it'd be great. Um, This morning, um, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be closing out uh, this chapter here and kind of closing out an idea that Paul had given to us in the beginning of chapter 1, or really chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3 in this idea of setting our mind on things above, putting off the old self, and putting on the new. And what we're going to be taking a look at this morning is how we do that um, in in community, right? We, We shouldn't take away what Paul's writing and specifically apply it to ourselves just as a personal individual uh, type of command. But we should understand that this is written to a body of believers. Right? This letter is written to the church in Colossae. And so we should also take it as such as how, how does this apply not only to my own life, but how does it apply to the body of Christ or those people that I have committed to through covenant membership? So if you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church. Um, As always, it's a joy and honor to open up God's Word and see what He has to teach us and grow us in the likeness of Christ. So Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17 say this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So before I start, I want to kind of help us think through what Paul is saying. Um, And the way that we can do this is by looking at how he has kind of counteracted the old life versus the new life, right? In in verses 1 through 6, we see um, Paul talking about, I'm sorry, 1 through 11, Paul talks about taking off this old life. This is who you once were, but now you are called, beloved, you are holy. And then from 12 to 14, verses 12 to 14, we see this understanding of putting on this new life. And this this theme is continuing through the book of Colossians, uh, even far back, as far back as Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Where if you remember, Paul tells us, tells the Colossian church and us, to walk in Christ. And this putting on a new self, this setting our minds on the things above, is what this looks like. The way that we walk in Christ is by setting our minds on the things above, and putting on the new self and taking off the old. This this idea then affects 
everything we do, right? Everything in our life should be affected by putting on that new self, by putting our minds and setting them on the things above. So when someone in church says something that you don't agree with and you don't want to show kindness to them, you're going against the command that Paul gives here. When a family member gets, makes you short-tempered, right? I know none of us in here ever get short-tempered at our own family. But if it happens, it's because we haven't set our mind on the things above. When your spouse frustrates you because they keep forgetting to do something that you've asked them to do over and over again, right? Again, these aren't things that we practice, but other people do. When your kids keep getting on your last nerve, when your boss doesn't seem to care about anyone but themselves, when someone cuts you off while you're driving, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. How you respond shows how you are either keeping that old self on or, or setting, your things on, setting your mind on the things above. So whatever it may be, Paul is calling us to actively set our minds on the things above and to take off that old self. And this morning, in light of Paul talking about doing these actions as believers and doing them in community, I want to ask the question, how do we do that? How do we do that? And so my main point this morning that everything is going to just really draw from is this. Putting on the new self is not just a private personal action, but a communal process. Right? It's supposed to be done in community. Now, there's no denying that salvation through faith in Christ is personal. God saved you. He loves you. He delights in you. And we, we praise him for that. We sing songs about that. But he's also called you as a believer in Christ to be in community. He has not designed you to flourish in isolation. We see this evidenced here in this book. As I stated earlier, this is a letter written to a group of believers in Colossae. And if you remember this, kind of give us some uh, memory jogging, right? We want to remember who Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles, people who have come out of a Jewish faith and tradition that is based on works and that I have to earn my salvation or at least earn God's approval and favor because of the things that I do. And then we have a part of this church, Gentiles, who have come out of a plurality of gods who they believe in and sacrifice to. And both of these groups have personal preferences. Both of these groups have cultural ideologies that they hold to. All of them trying to uphold their own tastes and preferences inside of the Christian church, inside of this church in Colossae. What's interesting is nothing has really changed, right? 2,000 years later, I mean, we could read that the Colossians wanted to hold to their own things, and Paul is trying to show them, no, you need to have a different primary view. But the Colossian church, just like us, has things that they are trying to orient their Christian community around. Now, the, the audacity of them to do this is kind of crazy, right? We would never try to orient our church or our body of believers around a political party, right? We would never orient ourselves around a particular style of music, right? We would never orient ourselves or community around fill in the blank. Nothing has really changed. And so 
It's beautiful that God has given us this book that we have been walking through to remind us that the primary thing as believers that we should be doing is setting our mind on the things above and putting off the old self within the community of believers. We're no longer Greeks or Jews. We are no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. We are no longer barbarians and Scythians, slaves or frees. We are in Christ and Christ is in all. And that should lead us to, as we've been walking through the characteristics of what this new self looks like, that should lead us to show compassion. That should lead us to show kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That should lead us to bear with one another, to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And here's the, here's the thing that binds it all together and where I'm going to jump off from this morning. This new self is bound up in love. That's what Paul says in verse 14, right? All of this is bound up and made perfect in love. Love is the bond of unity. That's what Paul calls the Colossian church to. That's what he calls us to as believers, is that we need to live in love for one another. As John Calvin says, where love is lacking, these characteristics are done in vain. Paul says this, says this truth in 1 Corinthians, right? We think of 1 Corinthians 13 as this beautiful wedding passage, but in reality, Paul is saying, all the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, you can do all of them, but without love, it's just like banging on a symbol. It's all done in vain. And so what I want us to see this morning from verses 15 through 17 is how we live with our minds set on the things above, inside of community, and having our community Put on the new self. And to answer how we do this, as we've seen through this passage and throughout this series, is the same answer. It's through the supremacy of Christ. So if you write in your Bibles, and you want to go back and read these three verses, I would love for you to highlight these phrases. The peace of Christ. The word of Christ. And let... Christ be in all, or do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the repetitive nature of what Paul is showing here, but he also shows us something as well in regards to our gratitude. Every single command he gives us in 15, 16, and 17 is followed with attitude of thankfulness. And honestly, before we even continue to get going, because I've got three kind of sub-points under that main point, I mean, I just want to praise God for his goodness and grace to us this morning. You know, I, I've been walking through this passage this week, and, and I've seen just kind of how God has been connecting this passage to what's going on in life right now. And not only that, but intricately, even in the songs we've sung, right? I was reading through verse 14, 15, 16, and 17 this week, and verse 14 says what I just showed you, that love binds all things together, right? And the the word bind is the same word of fetter, which is, if you remember the song we just sang, Come Thou Fount, it's, it's this uh, metal pool to hold prisoners to the chain, right? It's, it's how they chain their ankles. And what I thought was interesting was like, man, this 
same word is found in Come Thou Found, we should sing it. And so what I did is I looked up our song before I texted Jordan and said, hey, sing this song. And I found that we were already singing it. And I was just reminded of God like preparing this week for us before we even knew what we'd be reading, what we would be, what I'd be preaching out of. And then not only that, but if we start to read all of Colossians in light of what Paul is saying in the supremacy of Christ, specifically even more so in this passage, we see that the peace of Christ that is supposed to rule us as a church really helps us in today's turmoil. In, in all that we may be walking through, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety, whether it be you agree with a per- certain political party or not, or how this pandemic has been held, all of these things I have seen come into different churches and just kind of destroy them. Because what they're lacking is an understanding of the peace of Christ. And so I thought to myself, man, these are two great ways in which God has shown us his goodness in that we chose a song, not even knowing that it would connect to this verse. And then we chose this book, not knowing what would be happening in October of 2020. And so I just want to praise God over that. You might not be as excited as I am, but it's, it's crazy how God interconnects those things to grow us more in the likeness of Christ and to show us his goodness and his grace and his mercy through his word. So that's my little tangent for this morning. I want to pray, and then I'm going to ask the Lord to just bless this time, and then I want to give you those three points from the verse on how we can live in community and help each other put on the new song. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for preparing things beforehand, before we even recognize what you are doing, whether through song or through the scriptures that we choose to preach and read through. Lord, I've seen this through the book of Ecclesiastes and now through Colossians of how you have prepared us through your word for times like this, trials and uncertainty, reminded of your goodness. Your goodness that we we don't deserve, yet you choose to show us through your your son, Jesus Christ, through the word here. Lord, I, I pray as a church, as, as an individual, that I would never grow old of seeing this goodness. Lord, help my eyes to be able to see it more. Help us to be able to see it more as you bless us as your children. We pray that this morning would grow us more into the image of Christ as we continue to set our minds on things above and put off our old self and put on the new. Help us to see how this calling charges us to live not only individualistically, but in community, helping one another grow around us so that the world, those who don't call you Lord, can see your love in our community. Pray this in Jesus' name. So the three things I want to highlight this morning of how we can do this command that Paul gives us of putting on the new self, how we can do it in community is this. We live by a rule of life. We dwell in the richness of life. And we see what our purpose of life is. 
I did try to go full on Baptist and give you three R's, so I just I couldn't find a third one for purpose. So two R's and a P. Rule of life, richness of life, purpose of life. And so the first one that we see in verse 15 is a rule of life. Paul writes, says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So Paul continues the command of setting our minds above and putting on our new self by letting the peace of Christ rule in us. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Where, actually, I'll ask you three questions. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? You don't have to answer it, just kind of think through it. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? Now, where do you feel most peaceful? Is it a place? Is it out on the golf course? Is it out in nature? Maybe looking at birds, ranch birds? Where do you find yourself most peaceful? Is it a place? Is it a person? You have that one person, or you have a group of people that you can go to that you just feel like you can share and there's not going to be any type of judgment. You can make a comment and not have to call them back an hour later and go, hey, you know I was joking about this, right? There's that peace and understanding that you have within your friendships. And then what places do you feel least peace? You might be saying everywhere right now. Everywhere I go doesn't seem to be peaceful, and I understand that. But what place do you feel least peaceful? Where you're distressed, feel frustrated, you might be hostile to something. I understand it's hard to find peace in those places. It's hard to find peace in a relationship when you disagree with somebody and you don't know how to deal with that. It's hard to find peace in the midst of depression or panic attacks. But this understanding of peace that Paul talks about here is both the absence of animosity or hostility, and it's the presence of harmony and well-being. Paul calls us to the peace of Christ, the peace that only belongs to him. But for most of us, this understanding of peace is kind of what I just asked. It's, it's more of a feeling, right? And less of a thought process. It's more of, I, I don't feel this peace, right? I just don't have this peace here within me. But Paul calls us as believers to let this peace of Christ rule within us. And the only way that we can have true peace is by first understanding that as believers, we have been given this through Christ. We now have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. This is the most important piece. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear that the most important piece that you have is through Christ. That Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, brings us to peace with God. And what I mean by that is before him, we stood before God deserving wrath due for our sin. We stand before God without Christ as enemies, hostile in mind to him. The book of Romans reminds us of this. But the cross of Christ is the ground for our peace. 
It's what reconciles us back to God and gives us peace with him. And this is what we're called to. As believers, this is our calling. Paul picks this up in verse 12 when he highlights God's election in saving us. That God graciously and powerfully called us to himself. Sinful human beings like you and I. And he transferred us out of the domain of darkness, out of sin and death, into the marvelous light of righteousness, life, and joy. And as believers, Christ's peace is what's given to us. It abides in us. It's available to us at all times, in all places. Now the interesting phrase that Paul uses is that Christ's peace should rule within us. Now this rule within us gives us an imagery of an arbitrator or an umpire, right? Someone who has the ability to make a call or make a rule within a game or within a court system. Now, I don't often use sports analogies, not that I'm not a sports guy, athletic guy, whatever, but I understand that not everybody is. But I do believe that when we think about umpires, we have at least some, ki- some type of person and or system that's set in place, right? So I, I think it could help us to, to recognize that when Paul says that the peace of Christ should rule within us, he's saying that the peace of Christ should be our umpire in any and everything that we do. Now, when I think of umpire, I think about baseball. I don't know if anybody of you are baseball fans. I'm not particularly a baseball fan, and it's mostly because of the umps. I feel like they have way too much power. But it's that power that Paul talks about that should rule our lives, right? If you've ever watched a baseball game and a hitter or a coach could give the ump just a side eye and he'll throw them out of there. He has that power to do that. Infuriating to me, but I digress. This is the type of power that Paul tells us should be within us. And it should be the peace of Christ that rules in us. Now remember, Paul isn't primarily talking about just us as individuals, although that is important for us to recognize. What he's talking about here is the spirit of the Colossian church, that they should be living in peace with one another that the peace of Christ should rule and embody this church. He's talking to us as well 2,000 years later. This isn't an individual virtue that we should strive for, or it isn't just an individual virtue that we should strive for, but a corporate one. One in which our church embodies. We see this at the end of the verse when Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in you to which you were indeed called to one body. So when Paul instructs us to let this peace rule within us, it's not simply an inner peace, but a corporate peace on the benefit and behalf of the other people in the body of Christ. Now, like I said earlier, I understand that the gospel, and and maybe this has been taught to you over and over again, that the gospel is an individual one. You make a personal profession of faith. Yes, this is true and right, and we praise God for it. 
But the gospel is also corporate. The gospel is to be done with other people who make up this body that Paul talks about. And as Christ's body, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, we are not our own. We do not get to live in isolation. You know, Cain, when he had murdered his brother in Genesis 4, and God comes to him and asks the question, where's your brother? And he goes, my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer for the believer in Christ is yes. We are our brother's keeper. We do get to be involved. We should be involved in each other's lives in such a way that as Paul continues this passage, we are teaching, admonishing, singing to one another. We have a spirit of peace within us that we don't allow our own personal preferences to become primary. That's not to say that we don't have them but they're not primary. They don't rule us. The peace of Christ rules us. And this is countercultural for us today, right? The world tells us that it should just be my truth. The world tells us that it should just be how I feel and what makes me feel good. But the scriptures show us that it's not about you. First about Christ and where what he has brought you into, which is the body. And that you are not your own. And that your gifts, and that your talents, your personality, the preferences that you love, they're for the body of Christ. So whenever there's an offense inside the church, let us strive to let the peace of Christ rule. And I understand that there can be a lot of offenses right now, right? People are on different sides of the political spectrum. They're on different sides of how this pandemic has been handled. There's a lot of different things that can cause strife in our own church. So this morning, I plead with with you from this text that that you let the peace of Christ rule within you and within us as the district church. So that when we leave here, the world around us sees there's something different about us because we've made the peace of Christ a ruling factor of our lives. Especially the body of Christ. Now again, this is not without sacrificing principles, but we need to relate to one another in a way that facilitates and demonstrates the peace that Christ has secured for what would it look like? What would it look like if the district church, if our own body, sought to make the peace of Christ our primary rule? What would that look like to the outside world? What would that look like to the city of Indianapolis, to your neighbors, to the people in the spheres of influence that you have? What would that look like? And thirdly, in this verse that we see, this peace that Paul calls us to should lead us to thanksgiving. H.P. Charles tells this story of a man who visited his wife in the ICU. And he asked, how is your wife doing? And the man responded, it's touch and go. She recognized me. We got to pray together. We held hands. And then we read some verses 
about thanksgiving. He says, you know what? He's telling this to H.P. Charles. He said, it is impossible to be anxious and thankful at the same time. And it is. It's impossible to be anxious and thankful at the same time. So when verse 15 commands us to be at peace, that peace should lead us to thanksgiving. The imperative here in the present tense that Paul calls us to is to keep on being thankful. So the peace of Christ leads us to keep on being thankful in whatever situation we go through. It's this understanding that gives Paul the foundation in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to say, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So this peace should lead us to thanksgiving. So how does this peace that is found only in Christ rule over us today as a body of Christ? Let's continue on to the next verse. Verse 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here's the next command. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. How do we find the peace of Christ And how do we let it rule over us? We let the word of Christ dwell within us. This goes all the way back up. If you write in your Bible or you you want to take a line and draw it from verse 16, you can draw it all the way to verse 2. When Paul says, set your minds on the things above, this is how we do it. This is, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is how we do that, right? (laughs) We set our minds on the things above. And the way that we do it is by we, we, we dwell in the word of Christ. And we let the word of Christ dwell within us. This is how we embody the peace of Christ. Now, this shouldn't be a shock to you, right? If you've walked through Colossians with us long enough, you'll see that Paul has beaten this drum over and over and over again of knowing God's word. And letting his word grow you in an understanding of who he is and his will for your life. But it's not just a pattern of Colossians, it's a pattern of the scriptures, right? Psalms 1 tells us, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord and on his law he delights both day and night. Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Scriptures make it clear that as believers in Christ, the way that we have the peace of Christ dwell within us is by having the word of Christ dwell within us as well. We're to be constantly thinking on the word. We're constantly sharing the word with others. The unity in the body cannot be preserved unless each of us are continually growing in our knowledge of God and letting his word dwell within us. This is a vital part of not only the Christian individual life, but it's also a vital part of 
the body of Christ's life. And we start to see how this word dwelling within us begins to overflow into characteristics of the Christian life and the Christian community. Right? We see Paul tells the Christian community to teach and admonish and to sing. So we Three characteristics of what the body will look like when it dwells in the Word. We're able to teach one another, we're able to admonish one another, and we're able to sing to one another. Now, not necessarily good singing, but it's this understanding that we have an attitude of worship that comes from dwelling in the Word of God. And what Paul means by this teaching and admonishing are two different things. One is a teaching of positive belief or positive truth that we see in the gospel of Christ. It's, it's this teaching and proclaiming that Christ has, in fact, died for your sins. And it's a reminding of the gospel that you are in him and he is in you. It's a reminder of who we are in him, right? It, it's this positive teaching that we give to one another. But the admonishing part as well is a negative understanding, but negative in the sense that Brother, sister, if you're in sin and you don't repent, this is what's happening. It's, it's not shying away from the fact that God is both just and wrathful and merciful and loving, all of these things together. And so what Paul is telling us here is we need to be teaching the positiveness of the gospel as well as the negative so it all encapsulates, encapsulates the true word of God. And this is what we're supposed to be doing with one another we're supposed to be doing it with all wisdom, right? How many of you have been in church where admonishing is really the only thing that people care about? I'm only going to call somebody out in their sin. I'm only going to tell them how they're doing it wrong. I'm only going to be negative, negative, negative. Or there are plenty of other churches that will just go positive, positive, positive without giving the totality of who God is. So we are to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as James tells us, if you don't have wisdom, the Lord for it. He will give it to you. What does admonishing in wisdom, teaching and admonishing in wisdom look like? Well, we get the picture in verses 12 through 14. Right? Compassion. Humility. Kindness. Meekness. Patience. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. We have a perfect example in these two verses of what it looks like to teach and admonish in all wisdom. And then, as we teach and admonish, we see that a part of the word dwelling within us is singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. It's interesting that singing is one way that Paul would tell the church to let the word dwell within us, right? But the ministry of the word doesn't just stop here. Our life as believers should be characterized by worship. Worshiping in song, yes, but also as Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, our life is a spiritual act of worship. But I want to focus here more on the corporate part of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Because understanding that corporate singing, what we just did 20, 25 minutes ago, I don't know how long I've preached before, but what we just did 
It is an important part of the life and body of Christ. Music cannot be disconnected from the Word of God. We sing in the gathering so that we can partner with the Word to help teach and admonish one another. To help get the beauty of the gospel into one another. One pastor puts it, shallow music produces shallow people. And so it's important for us to recognize that when we sing, we are teaching and admonishing one another. That's why I love, I, I lo- actually, Jordan and I got to get together the last couple of weeks and talk through like, okay, what's the next steps for our worship team? Songs we get to sing. And we've been doing this, what, for the last two, three years now, right? Where we get together and we, we comb through songs. And it, it, sometimes it's meticulous where we're like, you know what, I don't know if we can sing this song corporately, It's got great words, but I don't know if our people could sing it just because it seems like an individual song, like one you play in your car or, you know, when you're in the shower singing to yourself. But then we also talk through lyrics and say, what does this say about God? What does this song reflect about what we believe the Word of God says? And so we are meticulous in how we choose songs so that as we come together on Sunday morning, we are singing in such a way that we are teaching and admonishing one. We should sing with this mentality that a part of the word dwelling within us is singing. Now Paul isn't trying to make a point with this psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that there's a distinction that we need to make. Although it is pretty cool that like we can go, hey, we've got psalms that we sing from the Psalter. We've got hymns that we just sang today, and then we've got spiritual songs, which would just reflect songs that elevate Christ from that day and age. But Paul's not saying that there's a distinction between one another. What Paul is trying to say is that there is a variety of music that can uplift and fix our eyes on Christ, and that music is the one that we should have within our hearts. The Lord does not dislike a particular song or style, Especially just because you might not like it. Uh, Dwayne says this every once in a while. And, and look, I agree with Dwayne a lot, so I don't want to make this preference of like we don't agree together. But I definitely agree with this statement that he makes. If every week you come in here and you love every single song, we've probably done a bad job of picking it. And I say this because we all have different preferences, right? We all have different styles of music we like. I love when Bryce gets up here and, and starts playing a, an organ. Some people might not like that. It might bring them back to a, a hard place where they grew up in just a very small church. We all have different preferences and styles. But when it comes to music, I hope that we recognize the most important thing is what we are doing in regards to praising and lifting our eyes to the Lord. And understanding that our music is teaching and admonishing ourselves and one another. And Paul again adds this command of being thankful. You see, the word thankfulness here in this verse is derived from the same word we get for grace. But Paul's not referencing the grace that we've been saved to. He's referencing gratitude in heart because we have been saved by grace. Our singing should proclaim the truth of God's grace and celebrate the experience that we have been given. 
we should be thankful when we sin. I want to ask this question. Why do you guys think it's so important that we corporately sing together? Think about that for a second. I mean, the answer is in this text. Yes, we are letting the Word teach us and admonish us. We're helping the Word to dwell within us. And it's beautiful because, like, I've recognized this truth. People go away humming the songs before they go away humming my sermon or Dwayne's sermon. If you can hum the 13 points that Dwayne gave a couple weeks ago, that would be phenomenal. (laughs) But people go away humming the songs they sing. That's one, one reason why it's so important to sing together is we are letting the word dwell within us. But the second one, that we are helping others have the word dwell within them. And what I mean by this is I have been in the back and I have sat back and watched people worship and just let go of their emotions, whatever they're walking through, whether it's financial insecurity whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's somebody died in the family, whether it's a family member that still hasn't come home. I've been able to sit back and watch the truth and the Word of God wash over them. And it's beautiful. But I've also been able to be a part of that in a way that I and or someone else can sing for them when the words can't even come out of their mouth. Augustine gives a far better picture of what I'm talking about when he says, How freely was I made to weep by these hymns and spiritual songs, transported by the voice of the congregation sweetly singing. The melody of their voices filled my ear and divine truth was poured into my heart. Then burned the flame of sacred devotion in my soul and gushing tears flowed from my eyes as well they might. He's talking about an experience of not being able to to worship in his own words, singing out because of the things that are happening or have happened in his life. But the congregation around him brought him to tears because they were able to worship for him. You see, I I hope that you guys understand that when we sing, it's not just a time that we're trying to fill before Dwayne and I get up here and preach. But it's a time in which we all are able to come before the Lord and be taught and admonished and to see the truth and grace that God has given to us and the hope that we have even in times of struggle and pain and trials. I also hope that you see and know that this isn't just something that we are doing individually, but that this is going on, has been going on, and will be going on for eternity. And this the eternal reality that we have as believers. That Sunday morning when we sing and praise is just a small glimpse of what it's going to look like when we're in glory. As John tells us in Revelation 5, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You see, when we come into worshiping the Lord on Sunday mornings, we are joining in with those thousands of thousands of thousands who are in heaven. And this worship, we are praising the risen King, the, the Lamb who sits on the throne. And so it is not just a here and now type of mentality that we have in worship, but it is an eternal reality that we get to experience and look forward to when we will be in glory with Christ. So it's important for us to remember why we come in here and worship and sing. I hope the district church can be remembered like the Roman author Pliny writes about the second century Christians. He wrote to the emperor saying this, they meet together before each day to sing a hymn to Christ as they pray. I hope that our church can be remembered for that. I hope that in this time, churches around Indianapolis can be remembered for that. If the governor is asking, what are these Christians doing? Or if the president is asking, or other emperors around the world are asking, that we can be said, we are meeting together to sing, worship, taught, and that the word of God is dwelling. Finally, how we are changed and transformed into new self. Not only recognizing the peace that comes from the word of God dwelling in us, teaching, admonishing, and singing, but then that attitude of worship leads us to let everything we do be for Christ. Verse 17 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so Paul here is closing the circle that he started in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, when he commands the Colossians to walk in Christ, as they were rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, the center of the Christian life is worship. It's grateful, thankful worship, which affects everything we do, right? I, I, I talked about Romans 12 already. Paul writes this. He says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, be, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So your life should be reflective of this grateful worship. Paul writes, whatever you do, this encompasses all of our life. When he says in word and deed, he sums up everything we're doing. There is no dichotomy between the secular world and your Christian life. It's not how we live. Every statement, every action, every word, every deed is to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 14, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all for the glory of God. Whatever we do, 
And since all things have been created through Christ and also are going to be and have been redeemed through him, Christians can then do all that they do in his name. Whether it be manual work, whether it be raising a family, whether it be writing a book, whether it be playing tennis, whatever you do, do in his name and do it with thankfulness in your heart. Because Christ, who lives within us, who's given us his peace, is the reason that we have thankfulness and is the one whom we can offer thanksgiving to God in all we do. So as Paul progresses down his train of thought, just as the worship gathering should be focused on the message of Christ, so this church, our body, the body of the district church, should be seen as one that lives its life for Christ, which is an expression of our worship to him. So here's my challenge this week. I want us to examine our conversations and activities as we walk through our normal week. I want you to ask some questions like, can I do this? in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Will what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say glorify God? Maybe ask, would would what I'm doing be appropriate if God was standing right next to me? If Christ was right here? Maybe ask a question, how will this affect my witness? Or will this display or contradict my devotion to the Lord? I want to challenge us to think through how we live and what we say. We shouldn't just come in here and say yes and amen and then go out and live a life completely contradictory to what we're learning in here. And if the answer to to any of these is no, then honestly, just don't do it, right? It might be easier said than done, but that's what we're trying to do. You know, as Dwayne talked about it in the confession, we are trying to get the leaven out of the bread. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And finally, to close this out, Paul gives us a third mention of thanksgiving. I hope that hasn't crept by, or I hope you haven't noticed this, right? If you start to see things repetitively in Scripture, you should, you should be like, okay, this is important. Right, seven times in the book of Colossians, Paul calls us to thanksgiving. And out of those seven, three of them come in this, these three verses. Paul calls us to be peaceful with thanksgiving. He calls us to sing and teach and admonish with thankfulness. And then he calls us to live a life that should be filled with thankfulness and gratitude. A healthy Christian is one that is spilling over with thanksgiving and praise. Some of the greatest Men and women, the most faithful men and women I know in my life are those who have a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude about them. I hope that that can be a characteristic and virtue of our lives. Church. And the last time I preached, I don't know if you guys remember, but when we walked through Colossians 2, 6, and 7, I challenged us to take a gratitude journal. Anybody, anybody follow that? One? Yes. 
Somebody did. That's all good. All right. So I'm going to challenge you with it again. Maybe get an accountability partner to this. All you got to do is really simple. Take a piece of paper, draw half thankfulness, and then draw the other side a prayer that you have. I would recommend dating it and putting the days that you have. Like Sunday, Lord, I thank you for such a great preacher at the district church. Right? Fine. I'll take that. But I would challenge you to, to have this gratitude journal. Because this is what God calls us to, is a life of gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done and given to us. And I promise you, from my own experience, from my own life, that when you start to realize all the things that God has done for you on a day-to-day basis, even if it's just one small thing, it begins to change your attitude towards your days. And it helps fix your eyes on Christ. So this is my prayer for us. As we close out chapter 3, we begin to look at what a new life looks like inside of marriage, inside of the workplace, inside of parenting that Dwayne will get to in the next couple of weeks. My prayer is that as a church, we would put off the old self and put on the new that is marked by the peace of Christ because we are dwelling richly, teaching and admonishing and singing to one another with all wisdom and thankfulness, and that our life in all that we do, word and deed, would be about Christ, would be about uplifting him, and that peace of Christ would rule. I'm going to close in communion. The beautiful thing about communion is that it is a reminder every single week that we have been given peace with God through Christ. That his blood and his body shed, sacrificed for us on our behalf so that our sin could be wiped away. As Isaiah tells us, white as snow, and that we then can receive Christ's righteousness so that when God looks upon us, he doesn't look at our sin, he doesn't look at our shame and all that we've done wrong or all that we will do wrong, but he looks and sees Christ. He says, this is my son and my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And So I hope that when we take communion every single week that you remember that, that you remember that Christ's sacrifice has brought you righteousness. And that God is delighting in you as his son. But I also hope that in taking communion, recognize that you're able to look around and see this sign that those who are taking it are also brothers and sisters in Christ. And that they will, one, be doing this with you and with me in eternity as we sit around the Lamb's feast but also that you, again, are in a body. You're doing this corporately, that this isn't just an individual act, but one that shows you you're not designed for individual living. This faith isn't just something that you do personally, but one that you do corporately. And so I hope that communion can show you these truths that we have as believers in Christ, as the body that Christ has called us to. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys can take communion as you please. The band will come up and close us in one more song of worship. So let's, let's go ahead and do that. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy.
Thank you that first and foremost, you have given us peace through Christ, that we are no longer enemies and we are no longer against you, hostile in mind, as your word says, but Lord, we are your sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. And that all of the treasures and riches and inheritance that is given to Christ is now given to us because we are in him and he is in us. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we walk through this week, as we walk day to day, that we would remember that peace of Christ that has been given to us. But, Lord, that truth would also overflow into how we live inside the body of Christ, inside the district church, as we strive to live at peace with one another. Where someone might offend us or where someone might have a different belief than us, Lord, that we don't make that primary, that we don't dehumanize or delegitimize that person. But Lord, we look at them and see that they are a brother and sister in Christ, and because of that, we still have fellowship, and we can disagree and help that peace of Christ be a mark of the district church dwelling in your word richly teaching, admonishing, singing to one another, understanding the importance of all three of them. Lord, as we leave this, as we leave this gathering here, let our lives be marked by you. Let everything that we do in word and deed be marked by peace and grace that you Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at